Today is a super huge treat. It's week seven of the community group uh, sessions for the fall. If you did not pick up one of these, make sure you grab one on the way out. This is the final week before we take a break for the holidays and kick it off again in January. And today's message is going to kind of summarize things of what we've been looking at in this series called Emerge Brighter from Ezra and from Nehemiah. And I'm thrilled to be able to co-teach us with a dear friend, uh, Taylor Turkington. She's been a part of our church for years. Uh, she is, I think, one of the most gifted Bible teachers out there, and you may not have heard her, but um, she's equipped and is passionate about helping women in particular uh, know the Bible better and share the Bible with more confidence. She runs a ministry called Bible Equipping, and she did her, her doctorate in the art of teaching and preaching to help better herself equip others. And she's just a great friend who's been a part of the church. So it's a joy for us to be able to do this together. Uh, Emerge Brighter, for some of you who just popped in, we've been in a series looking at uh, God's people who've gone out of destruction. They were out in Babylon in exile because of their rebellion. God brings them back. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls. They're beginning to rebuild their lives, and they faced opposition. Last week we heard from Steve Marshman about opposition from the outside. There are times where the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy all the good that God's doing in your life, but there's also enemies within uh, trying to stop them from the inside as they struggled in their own obedience. We've looked up to about chapters 6 and 7, and, and now we come here. I remember a couple months into the pandemic. It was early summer 2020. It was a Sunday night, right before a early morning 6 a.m. Zoom call with my boss and my boss's boss. It was getting late that night, and I sat down with my husband, Matt, and I looked him in the eye, and I told him what I'd been thinking all weekend, but I hadn't yet said out loud. I said, I think I'm getting laid off in the morning. He looked at me, and he was skeptical, thinking I was being a little paranoid, maybe. But then I laid out all the hints I'd been picking up. He leaned back and said, yup, you're getting laid off in the morning. <laughs> he told it to me straight. And he was right. We were right. I did get laid off in the morning. And I'll tell you, the next six months were like swimming in a wave pool, getting pushed this way and that. And me kept asking the Lord, what am I supposed to be doing now? What, what now? And I don't think I'm the only one that's felt this way in the last couple of years. You maybe didn't lose your job, but I bet you've been hit with change after change. And you've asked those same questions. What do we do now as we're in these shifts back and forth to the point that I'm tired of people saying, well, we just need to pivot. And we pivot and we pivot. We've been walking through this season it's of change and transition. It's like we're standing in a doorway about to walk into the next thing, and we're waiting. And Jose has called us back to gathering after hardship and called us to serving, and here we are gathering and serving. But there's still these COVID implications, and there's still those questions of, what, is, what does this look like now? How do we do this now? What now, Lord? How are we supposed to focus our hearts? And the people in Nehemiah's day were here. They'd returned from exile, remember? They'd obeyed and rebuilt the walls, and they were done. And now they ask, now what? 
Remember, they had heard from the prophets that God was going to bring blessings after they returned to the land. Hey, God, where were those blessings? They were still trying to pull together a normal life, trying to scrap things together, feel like it would be moving in a normal function, but they were waiting for this. They'd rebuilt Jerusalem, but no one lived there yet. This was the city of God, where God had promised to send his king, the son of David, the savior. But it looked kind of like an empty, hottened house. God, what are you doing? They were weary, and they wanted to know what now. Even as you and I try to figure out this new normal, we're going to see that the Lord sustained his people. In change, God's word and God's joy sustains us. And we're going to see that even as we are in this in-between waiting time that sometimes feels very weary, we respond and we remember, respond, and rejoice. That's where we're going this morning. We're going to fly through Nehemiah 8 through 12. So open your Bibles. We're going to start in Nehemiah 8, where we're going to begin where we see this call to remember. The people are remembering now, Nehemiah had just faced opposition. Remember, Steve talked to us about that last week. There was greed and poverty, exploitation of the people, and the, the leaders were even trying to trick Nehemiah. It was exhausting. And Nehemiah recognizes then this need for people to move into the city. And in chapter 7, we see this list of the people that had already moved back here to Jerusalem. And he's wondering, okay, now what does it look like to have another list that moves in? And then we get to chapter 8. So turn there. Nehemiah chapter 8. You'll see at the very beginning of chapter 8, it's the seventh month. And God's people gather just as they were told to do by Moses a thousand years earlier in the book of the law, the first five books of our Bible. And I'm going to read there at the beginning of chapter 8. When the seventh month came, as the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one at the, at the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. As the people gathered, it seemed they yelled to Ezra, the priest, the Bible teacher, Hey, Ezra, get the book. Bring out the book. And he did. Men and women and children, everyone who could understand listened. You see that repeated? They wanted to hear and they listened for hours. They may have been weary and unsure of what to do next, but they knew that the Lord had commanded this, to gather on the seventh month and to hear from his word. So they did. And as they did, if you keep reading further down in the chapter, you'll see that these, the Levites and the priests began to teach they spread out through the crowd, and they explained what Ezra was teaching. Jose and the teaching team on Sundays here stands in a long line of Bible teachers who work hard to teach the Bible so that we can grasp it and understand it, just as they were doing here. For the people needed to hear God's word. They need to be reminded who they were and where they came from and what God had said. Remember, he, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible. That's what, that's what Ezra is reading here. 
to think about they knew that God created the world. They're hearing that. And they're hearing that people rebelled. But that God was on a rescue plan and that he called this man Abraham and promised him a land. Oh, that was the land they were standing in. He promised them a people and he promised them a blessing that was going to bless the whole world. They heard about how they became slaves in Egypt and how God led them out. They heard about how Moses, through Moses, God gave them the law to call this loyal faithfulness to him that they should obey it. And then they heard that Moses predicted that they wouldn't obey it and they'd end up in exile, just like their great-great-grandparents had. And then they heard Moses predict that God would bring them back to the land and they would return and he thought, oh yeah, that's us. This is what God has done. They remembered and they soaked it in. And then they cried. That may not have been what we would expect, right? But the people had remembered what God had done and they recognized their own failings. Have you ever felt this under God's word? You're listening and all of a sudden you recognize something that God is doing in you in conviction. This is not generally how we invite people to church. Hey, hear what God has to say and then cry. But at the same time, God's word isn't just a pep talk. When we sit under it, it is often for our transformation. And so God is going to be working in us. And sometimes that means we're moved. Conviction, the spirit of God working in them and in us. They listened and they recognized that they had sinned and the people before them had sinned. And their hearts broke. Look down in the middle of verse 9, you'll see that they begin weeping as they listened. But Nehemiah said, no, this isn't the time to cry, you guys. This is the time to feast and celebrate. Get food, get people, gather, and give food to those who don't have any. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a famous line of comfort here from Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. They need to be remembered what God has done and celebrate his work first there would be time to talk about their failings in a little bit. But isn't it true that joy flows from knowing who God is? We see it even in the fruit of the Spirit. When God is working in us, he's bringing joy to us. Joy comes from knowing God's faithfulness, even in hardship and pain. Joy and pain aren't exclusive, but they're often present at the same time, even in these people here. Have you ever been waiting for news from a doctor? Maybe you had some tests done and you're wondering about a diagnosis and you wait, but then you hear some good news. Your first response is to believe what your doctor says and you rejoice. You're so glad. Yes, okay. That it wasn't the scary things I was afraid of. So in the same way, these people have heard the truth about who God is and what he's done. That there are promises that they could stand on. They are the people of God. The limitless God has bound himself to them. He has worked in the past and he's still working. Their job is to believe the word and respond with joy. If you're talking to your doctor, there'll be time later for you to talk about maybe ways you fumbled his health instructions and ignored what he told you. And maybe you need to change some of those preventative measures that he's asked you to do. There'd be time for them to talk about their failings with the Lord later. But first, they receive what God has said with joy. That's what they did. They had parties, and they gathered people. They kept the Feast of Booths. Do you see that down at the end of the chapter here? That means that the seventh month, they all lived in these temporary shelters, acting out with their physical bodies what it was like when God led them out of Egypt, out of Exodus. But 
you get this taste that maybe they realize that God had done it again. They'd been, before they'd been come out of Egypt, out of slavery and into the land, and now God has brought them out of exile back into the land. It's like they knew a second exodus had happened, and they're rejoicing. It's like a huge church camp out, living in tents with lots of food and children running loose everywhere. They celebrate, and there is so much joy. Look down in verse 17. So much joy. God's word and God's joy sustained them. Remembering helps his word and his joy sustain us. My husband and I parent a three-year-old who has leadership potential and a large vocabulary. Maybe you've seen her around her blonde hair, red sparkle shoes all the time. But after a long day of focus and discipline, and she's finally in bed, and maybe it's finally quiet and I'm alone, I find myself with my phone looking at pictures of her. She's been in bed 15 minutes. But there's this remembering as I look at pictures of her and smile ear to ear. It's a remembering of what God is truly doing in this situation. That God has given me this little child for his glory, for her good, for my growth. And there's so much joy. Even when it's really hard and wearying. So friends, we have remembering to do. We have history to relive. Because we look here and we see that these are forefathers and foremothers in the faith. But hundreds of years after this, God himself entered creation. And he lived a perfect, righteous life so that you and I could know him. That Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we could be in the family of God. And that he has made us a church, a community of a transformed people who are now living godly lives and speaking the good news. That as we live, that our good works are to flow into the community just like water flows into the road when there's been too much rain. So as we wait for Jesus to return, the water rises even when we're anxious and weary and tired of instability. This is what we remember. And this is what we remember together. Each week on Sundays and in our community groups, this is what we do next. When we say, we're asking, what do we do next? There's tons of instability. This is what we do next. We remember. We remember from God's word, even when the weariness from 2021 wants to tell us that we should really be refreshed somewhere else. We should find what we should do next somewhere else. We look here. We say that this book might be something that we put on top of our phone. We put it on top of the other book. We put it on top of the next work task because we need it. That we would be people that would walk away from TV, from our phones, from whatever else so that we would come here. Because we need the word over and over. If you look down in verse 18, do you see? Ezra read the book to them every day. It kept going. They needed more of it. I want to be like God's people who yelled to Ezra, bring out the book, we need it. And it's our, it would be our cheer on Sundays and it would be our cheer to ourselves every day. Bring out the book, we need it. Because this is where we find joy. That we'd read it to remember and to respond.
Yeah, we, we want to remember what God has done because there are things that God always tells his people to do. And in our time, there are things that he's inviting us to step into as well. Have you ever been um, in a gathering like this, or maybe it was a song on, on, on your phone that you were just listening to, and you felt like the artist or the speaker was speaking to you? Or just even alone, and you're reading the Bible or listening to the Bible, and somehow this ancient text from thousands of years ago written to different people in a different space, it was suddenly like written from God to you. How many of you felt that? I, I know I have. One of the beautiful things is when we have those moments, the moments aren't just for the moments. They're for action. And so, yeah, the people heard the word of the Lord and Ezra and other teachers proclaimed it, but God was inviting them to, to do something. And what was their response? If you look at chapter 9, and 9 through 11 is about our response. Chapter 9, verse 5 says, Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted of all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. So their remembering leads them back to God, and it leads them to pray. So people who hear from God respond by talking back to God. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry host, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them. You, God, give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham, this is who you are, God. See, the, the beautiful thing about reading the Bible is it draws us back to know who God, uh, what God is like. And for them, it was remembering the God that was faithful to their ancient ancestor. God, you called our ancient forefather, Abram, and you gave him a new name and a new purpose and a new family and a new hope and, and the promise of a new land that they were now living in. But we don't have time to read all of chapter 9. What you're going to realize is part of our response is owning up to where we have been and what we've done. So God's people, as they call out on God, jump down to verse 16. Notice how they remember and then respond. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became, and this is an interesting phrase, stiff-necked. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not forsake them or forget them. Arrogant, stiff-necked. It's like, it's like a donkey that has a task to carry a load, but a, a, a rope is put around and, and the donkey just gets in and says, no, I'm not going. I'm going to go in my own direction. Um, this describes the people of God. And by the way, as you keep reading, they recognize and in their prayer and confession, it wasn't just one generation. It wasn't just one tribe. It wasn't just one person. It was everyone at all times. And so the cycle of rebellion is their story. And do I dare say it's been our story? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Part of our remembering and our responding is owning up that trial and trouble comes to everybody. Look, sometimes we feel like, you know, I, I, you don't understand what I'm going through. What you're going through is not as bad as what I'm going through. And I don't, I don't want to make light of your particular circumstances. It could be hellish. 
and it could be uniquely devastating, so we don't want to make light of it. But this is why we read the whole story, because we realize that there are all sorts of people and all sorts of messes at all sorts of times. And in the end, at some point, they became stubborn and proud, and proud, just like we become stubborn and prideful. And uh, friends, God, God wants to remind us and give us words uh, of conviction. You see, for them, they, they confess, God, we have been this way, even though you've been kind to us. And as a church and as a community, we have to be honest and own up that the last 18 months to almost two years now have not been perfect for us either, okay? We have our own story of being stiff-necked and, and arrogant or, or just sliding back and slipping into all sorts of laziness and all that comes out of it. As a church, and when I say church, I'm not just talking about us, I'm talking about like the big C, all of us. In these seasons of um, challenge in our culture, often we've been the first to argue instead of listen. We've become obstinate. Instead of church being the place where people are heard and people are understood and we love and respect, we've been the people that unfortunately sometimes draw the line and say, if you're not this way or don't vote for this issue or don't agree with me on this, you, you cannot be my friend. We've ignored the call to unity. I mean, if there's any group on planet earth that ought to be united, it's Jesus' people. Why? We belong to Jesus. But instead of being united, I think over the last couple of years, we've seen the fractures become chasms, right? And instead of drawing close to one another in these times of need, we have put ourselves on one side and pushed people to the other. In the areas of pain, uh, we've discriminated against at times people who are unlike that unlike us. And you may say, like, well, that's not me. That whole, that whole racial thing, that's, that's not me. I don't, I don't have that in my heart. I love everyone equally, liar. I love everyone without reservation, liar. I love everyone at all times, liar. We have to own up at times. We have been guilty and obstinate and arrogant. Uh, and so what you see in the Bible is this beautiful confession. You say, well, that's not me personally right now. But what you see in the Bible is Nehemiah, Ezra, and all godly leaders, they own up to the sins of the people and they include themselves. And they say, you know what, Lord, we have been. And so we want to we wanna own our own repentance. And repentance is simply a turn of direction, a change of mind. We have to own up to the fact that sometimes in these seasons of pain and trouble, we've gone in our own direction. Now, the beauty, beauty of obedience is obedience leads to, and confession lead to joy. And this is what we see in God's people. Uh, just jump to chapter 10, verse 29. Out of this prayer, they, they come to an agreement because they confess to God, look, we've been stubborn. They make a commitment. Verse 29 of chapter 10. All these now join their fellow Israelites and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath. And not to do what? To follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. They end up writing a covenant, an agreement. And it's not just a generic agreement. They say, God, the things that you've called us to do, we're coming back. In order for us to emerge brighter as a people in our day, in order for us to be the most welcoming place in our city, in order for us to help people experience life in Jesus, yeah, there are moments of confession, but that leads to a pattern of obedience. And for them, 
They say, we're not going to intermarry with people who don't belong to God. And here's why. That was a status way of increasing your family wealth. So you marry off a daughter to a rich person in your community. It just so happens they don't, they don't belong to the people of faith. But it's good for your family if your daughter marries in. So it's easy to slide by and say, well, God's not going to be that upset because he understands what we're trying to do. They say no to that. We're going to follow God's way when it comes to our relationships. Uh, they were breaking the Sabbath day. Most of the people in God's community didn't work on the Sabbath. So if you were really smart, what you do is you sneak some goods and services to people who don't belong to the people of faith and sell to foreigners on the Sabbath. Why? There's no competition. It's called being wise and savvy. And then they realize, no, that's actually becoming disobedient and unfaithful. So they, they hear the word of God so that they can do the word of God. Instead of being generous as God had called them to, some of them were hoarding and becoming greedy and selfish. And so they say, no, we're going to release resources. And that's what chapter 10 is about. And then in chapter 11, what you get, and take the time to read it today, you get a list of real people who obey and actually move into Jerusalem. As Steve was saying last week, and as we read, we realized Jerusalem had been rebuilt in the temple and the walls, but it wasn't being populated. It was an empty space. And so technically it's the capital, but everyone is living on their own land outside. And they want God's space to be a space of blessing. And so some obey by doing something hard. Some volunteered, others they cast lots, but 10% of the people decide to move in. Now that the walls are rebuilt, it's time to rebuild life in God's city, and that's going to require some people to take extra steps of faith. And this is hard because you have your crops and your land on the outside. To move in is to sacrifice. It's to till hard soil. It's to, to take a risk and realize that your family may suffer, but you're going to make the suffering for the good of God's people. See, taking steps of faith to obey is often costly. And this is the way discipleship ought to be lived out when it comes to us Following Jesus, if we're going to emerge brighter as God's people, we want to remember what he said so we can respond and then act. So the question is, what is God speaking to us in the season as to steps of faith that we're called to take to be God's people together? Now, here's the interesting part on a super practical note. We have been talking and uh, for months hinting, and two weeks ago I had mentioned that we are, in the next weeks and months, we are going to renovate and remodel the space that God has provided for us here in this room and the rooms on the other side and everything over here that he's, he's put in our hands and we want to retool it to become the most welcoming place in the city. In order to do that, it's going to require sacrifice. Just like God's people, we're called to do their part. We're called and we invited you to pray about as a family or as a person about what God's inviting you to do, what he's calling you to stretch in and trust him for to go above and beyond your regular giving so that we can do this with cash and renovate it so we have better kids' spaces and to rent out midweek when other companies use it, which will fuel the work of God for years to come, to build out a kitchen so we could be hospitable. We're borrowing another company's kitchen to provide the coffee for you right now. It's time for us to rebuild it and, and to have bathrooms that you actually want to go into. This is important, folks. 
And so now's the time, just like God's people then were given a point of action to move into the city, now's the time for us to act. And if you missed it, uh, we're going to continue to send video updates this week. You'll get a video and a form online in our weekly so as you pray and you talk as a family, you can actually make a commitment. We're asking you to do something between now and December 31st. So at the beginning of the year, we can launch it and get started even as early as January if God allows. 250000 needed above and beyond to get it started. We think the whole project will be about a, a, a million. So another seven hundred and fifty on top of our regular giving next year. Here's the beautiful thing. The money is all here. It's all here. 100% of it. And God's resourced us above and beyond to live generous. But now the call and the action is to, to remember what God has done. He's been faithful here to bless us here. But it's not just about us. It's about all the city. It's about all of this region. And so now's the time for us also to respond. And that means confessing areas where we have been off. Some of us, honestly, God has called us to be generous in ways we've not yet lived into. And here's the invitation. Act in faith, trusting that the faithful God, who, by the way, provided all of those things, will now enable through you to reach more people like Katerina, who will now come into this space and hear the gospel and be changed. Now is our time to live out what we believe. All right, in, in this time of transition, God sustains us with his word, and God sustains us with his joy, and so we respond. God, God's calling us as a church to pray together. That's what God's people do. They pray together, and then to turn from their failure. We, we repent together, and then to obey, knowing that to obey is better than to sacrifice. So even as we wait for whatever quote-unquote normal will be, here's what I can do, here's what you can do. We can reorder our lives for what God is doing. And, and this is something we can rejoice in even as we take steps to do it. We've already been talking about joy through these chapters. It's in this entire book. It's because of God's word and God's joy that the people can go on. But now they're going to focus on joy in chapter 12. So turn that chapter now. It opens with these lists of priests and Levites. And sometimes we're tempted to ask, why do we care? Because it's lists and lists. But we do care. Because this is the beginning of their celebration. And they're talking about, these are the people that have led us in the past. They've led us towards the Lord. And they're people that are going to lead us now. These are the people working in the temple that's been rebuilt. And it's a little weird to our ears, but they're celebrating the organization of the celebration of the people of God. That there is institution and organization to this, that there's this designation for leaders then, just like there is today. Sometimes we like the idea of like me, my Bible, my Jesus, but that's not how the Bible teaches us about how to worship and celebrate. It's meant to be done together. And, and nowadays with, with elders and pastors and church leaders, together we do this. And so we see in the second half of chapter 12 that God's people begin to do this organized celebration. The walls have been finished and people have moved in. It's cost them because it, it's dangerous to live in. There isn't a full economy, but they've moved into the wall, inside the walls, into the city, and now they dedicate it. These two choirs start and they begin to march singing thanks. It's like this big embrace of the city as the choirs move and they end in the temple at this climax. It's over the top. There's so much joy, maybe because they were remembering what God has done. 
He's brought us back. We've built the temple. We have the walls. There's priests and Levites serving. God, maybe now you're going to send the Messiah. Maybe now all those blessings are going to come. Is this it, Lord? God has been so faithful and their thanksgiving and their joy is overflowing. If you keep looking down in chap- the end of chapter 12, you'll see they begin to set up directors for musicians and songs of praise. And then the people begin to give money generously because they're like, we want to keep rejoicing. We want to keep thanking God. And we realize we need to keep singing to do that. That's part of how we do this with our hearts. And then look at verse 43 with me. On that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. The celebration was the men, the women, and children. Everybody without distinction was there. Those who had lifted stones onto the wall celebrated. Those who had held the weapons celebrated. Those who cooked meals for those who held the weapons celebrated. Those who prayed celebrated. Those who had chased the children to keep them off the rocks celebrated. That together they recognized what God had done and they all rejoiced. You guys, their party was so loud, people far away could hear them. That's what it was like. We end where we began, a gathering of people Together, looking to the Lord and trusting their God. Not still entirely sure what's coming next, but having seen that his word and his joy sustain them. Do you see the togetherness? This isn't something that they do all alone. You can be in a church, friends, and not with them. That there is an intersection of lives here where Physical lives, relational lives, spiritual lives are meant to be lived together, to know each other. This is why we have community groups, so that we can do these things together. You'll also notice that there's no command here, be joyful. Because the joy wasn't a duty for these people. They were glad for what God has done. And sometimes that can be hard in seasons of wrestling or grief. I know that this has been a hard season for several of my dear friends. Some are struggling in their marriage, and that is a deep kind of pain. Others have yet to find stability in work, and it's so hard. Or they are battling depression or cancer or health issues they can't even seem to nail down. This is not God saying, just smile with your eyes because we can't see your mouth. But rather, it is saying it's okay to say, God, this is terrible, that there is space for grief and lament, even while joy can seep in. That joy can gird you up like braces on your legs when it feels hard to walk. That the joy of the Lord can support you even as you wrestle. That is what God's people have leaned into for centuries. That God's word and God's joy sustain them. So even as we look to his word and we see that it moves us to respond, to celebrate God's goodness, I would ask you, what does it look like for you as we enter the holidays to take rejoicing in God's goodness seriously? I'm not talking about the commercialism of all of the holidays or even the fancy decor. You may be into that. That's totally fine. (laughs) Or parties. But what does it look like for you to take joy and celebrating what God has done seriously? might be small with just a few people. 
but it's something that we are called to and that changes us. These people are celebrating around a newly built Jerusalem, singing with all they got. And one day, you and I, if we follow Jesus, will stand in a new Jerusalem. And friends, we will sing with all we got. And the weariness and the tears and the waiting of 2021 will begin to fade. That's the party that we're looking forward to, the rejoicing that ultimately we end up at. And it gives us strength today as we think about it. We remember, we respond, and we rejoice. If we keep reading in Nehemiah, the people want to create this life of remembering, responding, and rejoicing, but they can't pull it off. They fail. Because they need internal transformation, something that's really going to change and work in their hearts. And it's what we have access to today because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Yeah, the good, the good news for us is we actually don't have to go on a plane to Jerusalem and go to the water gate to experience what they experienced. We, we can step in while living in our own city to the pattern, and the pattern is an absolute dependence on Jesus. I mean, in the end, they couldn't rebuild their lives. They couldn't rebuild their city. They couldn't rebuild their walls. They needed God's presence to protect and care for them and empower them. But the beauty is, because God had called them and equipped them, they actually got the job done. So they're, they're rejoicing in the faithfulness of God, even though it's always a mixed bag of faithfulness with moments of unfaithfulness. And so what can we do? I think this pattern should be a cycle in our own soul and as a church. We remember what God has done. So in your community groups this week, we're inviting you maybe over the last seven weeks to reflect on what are the things that God has been teaching you. It's in the questions. What are the things that God has been saying to you? What are the things that God has been reminding you? We want to learn from one another. And you know what? There is a rejoicing that happens as you see God at work in the people around you. It's not all about you or me. It's about the work of God in all of our lives. And, and we respond. We want to praise God for what he's done and what he's doing and what is he saying. Hey, where is God leaning in on you to act and to move? We want to we wanna talk about these things. We want to have moments of confession together. It's good for the soul. Confess your sins one to another so that you could be made whole, the Bible says. And so we want to be honest, but we also want to be honest about how God's enabling us to get it right. Where have you stepped down in faith and God met you? We want to we hear that. Now, you may, be, you may be here and you're like, well, I don't know about all this. I'm not even following Jesus yet. Hear us clearly. This is not like steps up the ladder. If you remember God and you respond, then somehow God might be faithful to you some, someday. No, this is for God's people. So the invitation to you is to receive. Jesus came and did all the lifting, heavy lifting, light lifting, all the lifting. We cannot rebuild our broken lives, but Jesus can give us a new life. We can't repair a broken heart, but Jesus can implant a new heart. We can't renew our mind, but Jesus can give us even his own mind to live in a way that pleases him. So the call is always to believe and receive. So, so maybe that's the place to start for you, is to take the concept of Jesus beyond a concept He's not a concept or an ideology. He's a person. And what he came, he did, he, what he came to do, he did uh, to do it for you and for me. And so the call is always to receive. Maybe today is the day where you say, you know what, I actually, 
I want to follow this Jesus. And then finally, not only do we remember and respond, but we want to rejoice. Hey, what are the good things that are happening in your world, even in the middle of the tough spaces? It's why, by the way, we take communion every week as a church. Because uh, we're, we're in all sorts of places, and in a room this big, and with people watching online, there is always beauty and brokenness at the same time. You may not realize that. But we come to Jesus every week, and we make the center of it the remembering of his body and his blood, his life and his gift. Because of him, we can rejoice in the midst of sorrow, and we can rejoice and help others to experience joy, even when they're in the middle of pain. And so Taylor's going to join me, and we want to enact this. We want to be a people who celebrate and rejoice in the goodness of God, even in these wild times. And Taylor's going to lead us. When Jesus was with his disciples the night before he died, he called us to remember and to rejoice. He said, whenever you gather, remember what I'm going to have done for you. And Jesus' death pays for my stiff-neckedness, you guys. It pays for my arrogance, and if your faith is in him, his body and his blood have paid for yours as well. Take this, his body, broken for you. Remembering gives us joy. Take this, his blood poured out for you. Remembering gives us joy. It's, uh, this is one healthy way for us to respond to the grace of God. Um, there, are, there are other ways. And so as a church family, we want to grow in what we do one for another. I think church can be, if we're not careful, a place where you watch a show on a stage. And that's just not the heart of God. Um, we want to practice the one another. It's like bearing one another's burdens. It's why we invite you to community life. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Help one All the one another's throughout the Bible, uh, we're invited to. So here's what we want to do. Uh, we're going to invite you to stand right now. We're going to sing. But as we do that, if something struck you today that uh, maybe you're not yet following Jesus and you say, I really want to, as these songs are being sung, uh, we have a prayer team. And this is just people like you who volunteer, who say like, I love Jesus enough to say, I want to be available. So if someone comes to a gathering, I want to hear and share a little bit of truth from God's word and join with them in calling on God to rescue. And so if there's anything going on in your soul, uh, the way we practice that here is just invite you during the singing, get out of your seat and go towards the back, towards the back left for you. And um, there are friends there who want to pray for you. We practice generosity. And so uh, in COVID times, we don't pass any plates to collect, but we invite you to give regularly and sacrificially. And the majority of us do it online. So we're inviting you to practice that as a way of worshiping Jesus and, and living faithful to him. But if you're here and you say, I, I prefer to give you know, like tactfully, I've, I've got cash or check on the back, get, get connected table is a little bowl uh, for giving. And then we, we listen to what God's saying and we put it into practice. So as we go to respond, let me just ask you, what's the one thing? There could be 10. What's the one thing though that you know that you know that you know 
that God's inviting you to step into because you heard his word this morning. Whatever that is, we invite you to share that with the people you know and love. Why? So we can help one another get our feet moving in the path of faith and not just hear the word only and deceive ourselves. Great God, we come to you uh, out of response. Lord, we have nothing and we have done nothing to deserve your love, but we receive it. Lord, we receive it. And God, you know what we're going through, but now we respond with words and lips and mouths and voices that are filled with praise to you for your faithfulness towards us. So God, be pleased in the way that our hearts are turning to you. And Holy Spirit of God, give us the power to live out what you're calling us to actually do. And thank you for a body, a family that we can do it with. Lord, we thank you for all of these things. And so we worship you, Lord, now in spirit and in truth. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.